Input. Output. Hi, this is Input Output, and I'm your host, Mark Yarm. Today on the Input Output podcast, we've got stories about Google's brand new phones and Rome's old school monarchs. But first, here's a message from our partner, Review Review. Each week, Riley and Jeff take the most absurd reviews they can find on sites like Yelp, TripAdvisor, or Amazon, and use them to inspire improv comedy scenes. They've covered everything from children's science museums to haunted houses to video rental stores. As you might imagine, it goes off the rails pretty fast. Luckily, they have a slew of guests like Survivor's Jeff Probst and College Humor's Jake and Amir, who occasionally come on to help steer it back on course. Or not. If you're a fan of Input Output, you're sure to love Riley and Jeff's show. Be sure to catch the upcoming Review Review Sci-Fi Spooktober Spooktacular. That is quite a mouthful. A series of sci-fi-themed episodes all throughout October. Subscribe to Review Review, that's R-E-V-I-E-W-R-E-V-U-E, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, and give it a listen. Thanks. Now back to Input Output. we're introducing the new Pixel 5, which brings together the best of Google's 5G experiences with water resistance, eight gigabytes of RAM, and wireless and reverse wireless charging. Google recently released details about its upcoming Pixel 5 and 4a 5G. They're mid-range phones that don't compete head-on with the iPhone 11 on tech specs, but they do have one camera feature that even the iPhone 11 Pro doesn't. That's night sight for portrait mode. InputMag.com Senior Reviews Editor Ray Wong wrote about the new Pixels. Here he is reading an excerpt from his piece. Night Sight Mode has been one of the best reasons to own a Pixel, and Google has made it even better on the Pixel 5 and 4a 5G with Night Sight for Portrait Mode. Basically, you can now take photos with blurred out backgrounds that don't look like dark, muddy trash anymore. There's also an automatic mode for regular Night Sight, which is more of a catch-up to the iPhone 11 Pro. Welcome back to the show, Ray. Good to be here again. Google has already announced the Pixel 5 and the 4a 5G, but now they're releasing more specs. What can you tell us about these two phones? So they're both very, very similar, like unbelievably similar. They both have dual cameras on the back. They both have a hole punch camera on the front. The differentiating features really comes down to the price and the materials. The Pixel 5 is kind of their higher-end version. They're both mid-range phones. Here's the thing. They're both mid-range phones. So they're not like premium flagship phones made to go head-to-head with the iPhone or Samsung Galaxy, whatever. And so they are more affordable. And the thing is, the 5 is made out of aluminum. It has wireless charging. It has no headphone jack. Whereas the 4A 5G is plastic and it's got a lower refresh rate for the display. The display on the 4A 5G is also slightly larger than the 5, which is like weird. And yeah, I mean, it has a headphone jack as well. Again, materials and price. So really, I think... Since both devices have 5G, it really comes down to what you want to check off, you know, in terms of the phone that you want. But obviously, Pixels are most well-known for their cameras, and both phones actually perform very similarly this year. They both have the same sensor, and they both have an ultra-wide lens, and I'm most excited for the night sight mode, which now works in portrait mode, so, you know, 
blurred out backgrounds that are not so uh, pixelated. So you were in this show recently talking about just the regular 4A, which is a phone that you were lukewarm on, we'll say. Are you expecting more from the Pixel 5? Not really, to be honest. The chip itself is like slightly marginally faster. I guess it has 5G. You know, I get what Google's going for here. They're going for a value. Pricing is key. And it's not necessarily about having the most powerful chipset or, you know, the most amount of cameras on the rear of the device. So I don't know. It's weird because it's like pixels have always been flagship phones. And this time it's like kind of mid-range performance. I'm very concerned about the runway for the next couple of years. If you buy this phone, will it last two to three years, you know, like previous pixels did? If, even after what you just said, people still want to get one of these new phones, when do they come out? So the rollout is kind of like iffy. It's a little weird. Usually the Pixel phones come out in the U.S. first, but this year it looks like Google's flipping the switch and the phones are actually rolling out around October 15th internationally, but outside of Japan in like early November. It's really weird. My Your best bet is to just go to the website on Google's store and check the pre-order date. You can follow Ray on Twitter at Ray Wangi. Now on to today's second story. Travel back to ancient Rome, where absolute monarchs indulged in sins of flesh and gluttony. Discover the private lives and passions of the emperors who ruled the civilized world. Virtual reality specialist Daniel Vauchart recently used machine learning, Photoshop, and a whole lot of research materials to create hyper-real likenesses of ancient Roman emperors. InputMag.com news writer Marine Cassana wrote about this visually stunning project. Here she is reading an excerpt from her piece. With the help of the neural net tool known as ArtReader, alongside Photoshop and various literary mentions and a lot of time at home, virtual reality specialist Daniel Voschart was able to create the best likenesses of Rome's top dogs we have ever seen. Voschart says he examined more than 800 busts to create his likenesses, which span the Principate emperors between 27 BC to 285 AD. Welcome to the show, Marine. Thank you for having me. So this is a fascinating project. Listeners should really check out the images on inputmag.com. Can you tell us a little bit more about how it worked? So basically, it's a beautiful blend of science, uh, particularly data, and just a lot of history nerdiness. This guy basically used generative adversarial network, which is a form of machine learning through ArtReader, and he studied 800 busts. He read about the descriptions of these emperors in the Principate period specifically, and he then created some of the most realistic, incredibly realistic portraits of some of the most powerful men from one of the most influential civilizations on earth. It's incredible. He even looked at coins and read poems. So it's, it's really beautiful. As you point out in the piece, Richard says he's taking a stand against this alt-right revisionism of Roman history. This is really, yeah, this is actually my favorite part or one of my favorite parts about this whole thing. Over the past few years, the alt-right has given this very inaccurate claim that Rome 
was uh, homogenous and it was just one particular group in there, which isn't true because by virtue of being an empire, it was incredibly heterogeneous. There were multiple ethnic groups in there. And even when you look at Vosart's portraits through machine learning, you notice if you look at the chart, there are men like Septimius Severus who would be today from present day Libya. So when you look at the portrait, the guy's hair is thicker, his beard is thicker, his complexion is darker. When you look at people like the emperor, and this is really interesting, Elagabalus, who was the 14-year-old emperor of Rome, who died tragically at 18 for his very controversial rule, you notice that this kid would be technically from Syria today. So his features really show that it's not this all-white empire. It's actually very, very, very diverse, as much as the word has become contrived, but it's very different than what we've seen. Even when you look at the portraits that he shows of people like, say, Marcus Aurelius and Commodus, right? Father and son. You'll notice that they don't look like Hawking Phoenix or Richard Harris. They look very different. I don't know if he really intended this, though. He does kind of mention that he didn't want to romanticize these rulers. It definitely does de-romanticize what certain segments of the internet believe about Rome. And I, I think it's great. As you just mentioned, the emperors really don't look like they look in a movie like, say, Gladiator. Yeah, they don't. Uh, and I, I love that. Like I mentioned with Marcus Aurelius or Commodus, they don't look like Joaquin Phoenix or Richard Harris. I mean, no offense to them, but truly they don't look like that. Or even when you look at HBO Rome, right? You'll notice that they did try to give a very realistic depiction of people like Mark Anthony or Caesar or even Brutus, right? By taking actors who are not particularly conventionally perfect looking, right? They have certain imperfections and Vauchard does this too. He mentions this and I mentioned this in our report for input that he studied portraits by people where, quote, the emperor was stereotypically uglier, end quote, right? And that's really great because that kind of avoids all embellishments, which is good because normally artists at the time tried to create portraits of the rulers that were very flattering because their life depended on it. But when you look at coins or when you read, you know, supposedly neutral documentations of these rulers, you realize they're not hunks. They're not, they're not particularly good looking men, but they're powerful, right? And you can see that. So the, the portraits really deliver the nuances, the complexities, and just generally the humanness of these people's faces. If you look at people like even Caligula, who was terrifying, or Tiberius, who was also terrifying, or Nero, who was just absolutely insane, you notice that they look like, you know, generally people you'd see on the street. So he ends up doing this really, I guess the word I'm looking for, two, two words, he de-romanticizes them, and he also humanizes them. He makes them relatable in a way. You can follow Maureen on Twitter at Maureen Kasana, and I am at Mark Yarm. For more news from the world of technology and culture, visit InputMag.com. You can click on the links in the show notes for the stories we discussed today. New episodes of Input Output are released three times a week. If you enjoyed what you heard, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. You can find Input Output on your smart speaker or whichever podcast app you use. Thanks for listening.